Yeah, I've never been to Jerusalem. Really? How is that possible? My father never took me and my mother to the feasts. This is your first feast of the Tabernacles? Uh, no, this is just my first time in Jerusalem. The tabernacle is a, a temporary dwelling. It's a tent. I know what the Tabernacle is. So what? Do we have to build one to eat? Mm-hmm. I was being facetious. God said to live in a booth for seven days during this feast. Commemorate how the children of Israel lived in temporary shelters for 40 years in the desert. Still out. One of three pilgrimage holidays where every able-bodied Israelite male who traveled to Jerusalem can present himself before Adonai. You really don't know about any of this stuff. I've already admitted that I don't know all of it. I didn't pay much attention. I do recall my father used to leave three times a year. Why is it only the men are required to go? It can be a perilous journey. Difficult for children and the sick, people who need caretakers, but it doesn't prohibit anyone. I've taken Eden many times. Ah! Sharp. All right, I need some bodies to go into town with me. Nathaniel gave me a list of supplies for this masterpiece of his. Mm, pick me. Pick me, Simon. As long as you stop doing that. With all due respect, Nathaniel, I know you're a skilled architect, but this thatched roof won't keep the rain out. That's the point. The vegetation provides shade from the sun during the day. And if a few raindrops get through, it is a reminder of our dependence on God, of his provision, and of how our people were so vulnerable in the wilderness. And he brought us through. There was a time in my life, in my old life, where I had to sleep outside. It is a good reminder of how I was delivered from that. This time of dwelling in booths is also a leveler of people. Wealthy, poor, everyone sleeps outside as equals. Well, let's be honest. Not all booths are created equal. Yes, Nathaniel, the beauty of this booth is itself an act of worship. Rabbi, I have a question. Yes. In the prophet Zechariah, it is written, and everyone who has survived of all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Wait, what? Zechariah says that? They read that passage of the feast every year? You just don't pay attention. Well, there's a lot of readings. They sort of run together. What exactly is your question, Big James? One day, our enemies will celebrate this feast with us? Babylonians, Assyrians, Romans. the Romans, Jews and Gentiles at this table? What would have to happen for that to be possible? Something will have to change. But the boots won't mean anything to them. We're the ones who dwelt in temporary shelters while we wandered the wilderness, not them. Everyone has wandered through the wilderness at some point. If all the nations came to celebrate in Jerusalem, there will not be enough room, not by... I will not bore you with the calculations. I think it will not be Jerusalem as we know it now. Certainly not. But if Zechariah prophesied it, it will be fulfilled, right? It's just 
Sounds impossible. I know a thing or two about prophecies that sound impossible. Anyone have other questions? Great to see you, Purpose Church. Today, we begin our new fall series called In the Wilderness. It's based on the wilderness wanderings of the Israelites in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. After they were delivered from Egypt, they went through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. Uh, like that song we just sang, because you stepped into my Egypt and you took me by the hand and you marched me out in freedom into the promised land. Uh, the title of today's study is Tabernacling in the Wilderness. A tabernacle in the Hebrew was a residence or a dwelling place. Sometimes in the Bible it's called the tent of congregation uh, or the tent of meeting. Uh, they were a, This was a portable earthly dwelling place of God uh, used by the Israelites until Solomon's temple was built 440 years later. Uh, in the same way, we are now in the gym, the H building, and under the tents uh, until our worship center uh, renovations are complete. Uh, after 34 years, our worship center uh, had some broken seats, a lot of broken seats, and it needed uh, more ADA to be more ADA accessible. And it also has uh, some unsafe features that needed to be repaired, uh, just like the temple in the Old Testament was often repaired. You'll see that uh, through the scriptures. After a period of time uh, of, of neglect, they need to repair it again and again. And the condition of the temple was a picture of the people's hearts. A rundown temple was a sign that the people didn't care about God. And a temple that was well cared for, that was a sign that the people's hearts were on fire for God. And we want our worship center to show that we are on fire for God that we're committed to the things of God, and that's why we're going through this time right now. Uh, Moses commanded the Israelites to live in temporary shelters once a year to remind them of their time in the wilderness. Uh, but God can still do His work through us, even in the wilderness. Last Sunday, we saw eight people follow Jesus in baptism. And I really want to challenge and encourage you to be committed to gathering Every Sunday, not every other Sunday, not once a month. Really, let's, let's rededicate ourselves during this time to gather every Sunday, uh, whether it's online or in the gym or in the H building or under the tents. Let's be committed this fall, every Sunday, uh, to be gathering with God's people in some way, uh, in some format, uh, every week of this, every Sunday of this, um, of this fall. Uh, Hebrews 10 verse 24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good works. How can we do that? How can we spur each other on if we're separated from each other? And so he goes on to say, Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. doing. We've gotten out of the habit of, of being gathering every Sunday, particularly during the COVID season, uh, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day, the day of Jesus' second coming, as we see it approaching, let's redouble our commitment to being gathered together, whether online or in person, uh, every 
Sunday uh, during this fall. Uh, I stole this quote from Pastor Eric by Dr. Tony Evans. I hear people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And they are absolutely right. Salvation is through faith alone, in Christ alone. But you don't have to go home to be married either. But stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. Uh, now, if we, if you look, if you got your study outlines, if you print it out there online, uh, you'll see a list of the uh, feast or the festival of tabernacles, or it's sometimes called uh, tabernacles or tents or booths. And first, we have the spring uh, festivals. There's uh, Passover, which is usually in, in the first month of the Hebrew calendar, which is Aviv. But it is uh, in our calendar. This is more like April uh, or March, about when we celebrate Easter. And so Passover in the first month, unleavened uh, the festival or the feast of unleavened bread, of uh, first fruits, uh, the festival of weeks. And then we move to the uh, fall festivals, uh, the feast or the festival of trumpets in the seventh month, which is called in the Hebrew uh, calendar Tishri, uh, the, the festival of the Day of Atonement. And then the feast or the festival of tabernacles is in, also in Tishri uh, between the 15th and 21st day. Now, that means from late October. Tishri was from late September until early October. Late September until early October, just like us. In the same way, we're uh, celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, being in the gym, being in the H building, being under the tents during the same time period that the Israelites would celebrate it as part of their fall festivals. It was a seven-day festival. Uh, actually, it was eight, because on the eighth day, they would have closing ceremonies. So seven full days, and then the eighth day would be like closing ceremonies like you have in the Olympics or other any other great event. Now, again, it's just like us, uh, eight-day festival. We will be at least, uh, starting today, we will be at least eight Sundays in the gym and in the tents. It may go beyond that, but it's at least going to be uh, eight Sundays, just like the seven- or eight-day festival, the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, let's pick up what, how Moses instituted this in Leviticus chapter 23, starting in verse 33. Uh, chapter 23, verse 33. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, On the 15th day of the seventh month, the Lord's festival of tabernacles begins, and it lasts for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. For seven days, present food offerings to the Lord. And on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord it is the closing special assembly. Do no regular work. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, which are to proclaim as sacred assemblies for bringing food offerings to the Lord, the burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings required for each day. These offerings are in addition to those of the Lord's Sabbaths and in addition to your gifts and whatever you have vowed and all the free will offerings you give to the Lord. So beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, after you've gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the feast or the festival of, of the, to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of Sabbath rest, and the eighth day also is a day of Sabbath rest. On the first day, you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms and willows and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God 
for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters. So your descendants will know. This is to remind future generations, just like our uh, campaign for our 150th anniversary, building for generations, so that we can build and prepare and remind future descendants, future generations of Christ followers until Jesus returns. So your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. So Moses announced to the Israelites the appointed festivals of, of, the, of the Lord. Um, Orthodox Jews still do this today, this Feast of Tabernacles. Um, it's kind of like if we were to live in a log cabin, you know, if there was an American holiday where you lived in a log cabin for a week, once a year to remind us of, of the early days uh, of our nation. Um, it would be like, uh, I don't know if any of you remember or had your kids do this. When my son Andrew was in seventh grade, we went down to Dana Point. And for 24 hours, the parents, I was one of the chaperones in the seventh grade class, uh, we would stay in this ship called the Pilgrim, in which you'd reenact what it was like to be in a ship a couple of a hundred years ago. And that's the same principle here, where you reenact this time in Israel's history uh, to remind future generations what it was like in the past and how God took care of them during this particular time. Uh, he would remind them of who, who took care of you during your time of wandering in the wilderness. Uh, God provided protection, Exodus 14, verse uh, 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. So God uh, protected them from the Egyptian army. Uh, would remind them that God provided water, Exodus 15, verse 22. Then uh, Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water, but then eventually God would always provide uh, water for them. Uh, God provided food when they were in the wilderness. Exodus 16, verse 1, the whole Israelite community set out from Elab and came to the desert of sin. <laughs> okay, the desert of sin. In the original Hebrew, this is translated as Las Vegas, the desert of sin. That's, that's not true. That's a lie. I'm just joking. But they came to the desert of sin. Now skipping to verse 13. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when that dew evaporated, there was manna that provided for them food uh, during their time uh, in, in, in the wilderness. And, uh, and then uh, guidance. God provided guidance. Exodus 18, verse 13. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. And then the best thing of all that God provided was his presence. Uh, Exodus 25, verse 8, that have them make a sanctuary for me, uh, a tabernacle for me, a sanctuary for me, and I will tabernacle, I will dwell uh, among them. And then even practical things like clothing. Uh, Deuteronomy 29, verse 5, yet the Lord says, during the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. So during this time in the wilderness, 
God took care of the big things like the Egyptian army, but he also took care of the little things like their clothes and like their sandals. Now, let's set the stage for the coming of Jesus, the living water, which is what's to come. So think about this uh, Feast of Tabernacles, this Festival of Tabernacles. So for 1,400 years, from 1,400 B.C. um, until Jesus comes the first time, they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. In the same way that we've celebrated the Lord's Supper for 2,000 years, uh, waiting for Jesus' second coming. So they did the Feast of Tabernacles, 1,400 years. I'm sure it was interrupted sometimes by times of war or other uh, challenges within the nation, national life. But most of the time, 1,400 years, year after year, they celebrated it looking forward to the first coming of the Messiah of Jesus. In the same way, we look for a second coming. Paul writes in Uh, To the Corinthians, he said about the Lord's Supper, he said, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Each time we share the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming our hope in the second coming of Jesus. And each time they did the Feast of Tabernacles, it would remind them of their future hope of the coming Messiah. So for the seven days of the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, the rabbis would teach them from certain passages of Scripture. We're going to look at a couple of those in, in just a moment. And then we come to the final, the eighth and final day. And the priest would have two uh, pitchers. The priest would have uh, two pitchers, one with water in it, and the other uh, would have wine in it. And uh, the priest would have these uh, two uh, items before them, and this was the last of the fall feasts uh, that they would be celebrating. The eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles would be the last day of the fall feast. And the next one that would come, the next feast, would be the first day of the first uh, festival or feast of the spring festivals or the spring feasts. So basically what they were, the priest was saying with the water is, we're, we're praying that between the end of the fall feast... Um, in around October, and the beginning of the spring feast, which would come around April, we are praying that God would send the rain so that the grapes could grow and the wine would flow. Uh, I've told you before, shared before, how it's amazing how Southern Californians, we understand the Bible probably better than anybody, at least with regard to weather and geography and topography, because it's so similar to Israel. And, you know, I, I, I Googled uh, just uh, earlier today, uh, what's the rainy season for Israel? Well, it's October to April. And then I Googled, what's the rainy season for Southern California? It's identical, October to April. So exactly the same. Our season when rain can come is the exact same as it was for the nation of Israel. So what they are praying is, Lord, let it rain. Let the water come from the end of the fall feast until the beginning of the spring feast, because if the water flows, the grapes will grow and the wine will flow. It's kind of like that sign. Have you ever seen the sign going north on the 99 on the way to Bakersfield? And there's this big sign that says, food grows where water flows. Food grows where water flows. And that's exactly what the priest was symbolizing there. Rabbis would teach that water was a blessing in the physical sense, but also in the spiritual sense. Uh, They would teach certain messianic uh, passages that would look forward and predict and prophesy the the Messiah. 
And um, it, it's not that we call them in hindsight, look back on it and say, oh, that's a messianic passage. No, they called them messianic passages. They identified these are the ones that will predict uh, what the Messiah will be like and who he will be when he comes. Uh, we didn't do it in, in hindsight saying, oh, well, here's Jesus. Let's make him fit with the prophecies. No, the, the rabbis would teach this as a messianic passage back then, hundreds of years uh, before the coming of Christ. They would say that one of the symbols of the Messiah is living water. The Messiah would be the one who would bring living water. Uh, Jeremiah 17, uh, verse 13. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you, that is those that reject the Messiah, will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of of living water. To reject the Messiah means that you will be written in the dust. Your name will be written in the dust because the, the coming Messiah is the spring of living water. Now here's another messianic passage. Isaiah 12 verse 2. Uh, Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So just like God supplied uh, their need for physical water in the wilderness, in the same way the Messiah would supply their need for living water for their spiritual thirst, for our spiritual thirst uh, when he comes. So now Jesus presents himself. He's about to present himself at the feast or the festival of tabernacles. And we pick it up now with uh, John chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. Now, eventually, he would be killed on the cross in Jerusalem, but this wasn't the right time. This was not the, the right God's timing for him to do that. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, now, Jesus' brothers did not believe in him until after the resurrection. I think it's one of the greatest evidences uh, for uh, the, the resurrection. Uh, Pastor Eric has preached on that when he's talked about the resurrection, about how one of the greatest evidences was uh, how, how when you have family members that don't believe in you, but after the resurrection do begin to believe in you to the point of being willing to die for you and die for the fact that they saw the resurrected Jesus, that's a tremendously powerful evidence for Jesus' resurrection. But at this point, they don't believe in him. And so they're a little bit starky with him here. Jesus' brother said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. Now by show yourself to the world, what they mean is, they, they mean Jerusalem. Show yourself to the world, reveal yourself in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was like a combination of Los Angeles, New York City, and Washington, D.C., all put together. You know that song about New York City, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Well, the same is true of L.A., same is true of D.C., Washington, D.C. You put all those three cities together, L.A., New York City, and Washington, D.C., you get Jerusalem. It says, show yourself in Jerusalem, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. 
You go to the festival. I'm not going to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching. They were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? When's he, when's he going to show up? And now we skip down to verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, remember that eighth day, that extra day, closing ceremonies. On the last and greatest day of the festival, uh, the priest would read from Psalm 113 uh, through Psalm 118. And the theme of these psalms is, Lord, save us. That's the theme. And so the people would be, would be shouting, save us, save us, save us, as they read these passages on salvation is in the Lord and how we cry out to the Lord, save us. And the people would be saying, save us, save us, save us. Then the priest would take the pitcher of water and the pitcher of wine and would pour them together on the altar before the Lord. And he would pour them out and the two would mix together, the water and the wine. Uh, Just like the Roman spear thrust into Jesus' side to make sure that he was dead, the Bible says that a mixture of wine, of, of blood and water Uh, The wine represents his shed blood as we share with the Lord's Supper. But the Bible says that a mixture of blood and water came out of the side of Jesus. In the same way, this mixture of wine and, and, and of water would come out being poured on the altar as the people cried out, save us, save us, save us. Then at that moment, at that moment, verse 37, Jesus stood at that moment. Uh, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood. Normally a rabbi would sit to teach, but in order to have emphasis and for the dramatic effect, he now stands and said in a loud voice, why was it loud? To overcome the people saying, save us, save us, save us. And in a loud voice, with all that background now, he says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water. What scriptures is he talking about here? He's talking about Jeremiah 17, where the Messiah will be the spring of living water, uh, given 600 years before. He's talking about Isaiah 12 that we just looked at. You will draw water from the wells of salvation, given 700 years before. He's talking about Deuteronomy 18, where Moses said that God would send a prophet like himself, like Moses, And Moses established the festival of tabernacles, which points to Jesus. And so he says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to to receive. Now, the story continues the next morning, the, the morning after all these teachings that have been taught during the week, for example, uh, one of the ones taught would be Jeremiah 17, 13, uh, that says if you reject the Messiah, uh, you, you will be written, your, your name will be written, you will be written in, in the dust. And so it says, at dawn, uh, skipping down now to uh, John chapter 8, verse 2, at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand 
before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Let's hold it there for just a moment. He bent down and started to write on the ground with his his finger. This is one of the great mysteries uh, in the Bible. What was Jesus writing? What was Jesus uh, writing here? And there are many possible options of what he was writing. But one of the theories that Bible scholars have is that it was going back to what they had been taught the entire week where it said with regard to Jeremiah 17, verse 13, if you reject the Messiah, you will be written in the dust. He was writing the names of the accusers, of those who had rejected him, the, uh, the Messiah. He was writing their names uh, in, in the dust. Uh, he goes on uh, to say, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Your name, if you reject the Messiah, your name written in the dust. If you accept the the Messiah, the, the, the spring of living water will produce living water to satisfy your spiritual thirst. The most important question in life is, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do? The choice is yours. The choice is ours. The choice is mine. Do I choose dust? Do you choose dust? Or do you choose living waters? Do you choose having your name written in the dust? Or in what the book of Revelation calls the Lamb's book of life. To receive the Messiah, to receive Christ, is to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. To reject Christ is to have your name written in in the dust. Now I want to give you a chance to do that right this moment. I've still got a little bit more teaching to do, but let's just grab this moment right now. I don't believe that you're watching this online or in, in your living room or at your computer or listening to it later on in a car by accident. This is your moment to have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life and not written in the dust. It's three words that you say to commit your life to Christ. And they're words that your parents or your grandparents or your guardian taught you. Sorry, thanks, or thank you, and please. Uh, you say, God, I'm sorry for the sin in my life. Oh, God, I'm sorry uh, for my wrongdoing. Thank you for dying on the cross so that I could be forgiven. Please forgive my sins. Be my Savior. Be my Messiah. I receive you. Save us. Save us. Save us, Lord Jesus. Would you pray with me right now? Uh, Just pray along with me silently as I pray out loud. Oh God, I'm sorry for the wrong in my life. But thank you that Jesus came into the world, that he, he dwelt among us. He tabernacled with us, the Bible says. He came and dwelt with us and lived a perfect life and died on the cross and rose from the grave so that we could be forgiven and spend eternity with you in heaven. Please now, uh, I open my heart to you. Please come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior I accept you as my Messiah. I want to follow you as my leader, my Lord, 
my Messiah for the rest of my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And if you agreed with that prayer, would you, would you say amen with me right now? Just wherever you are, out loud, say amen. And you know, if you go to our, our website and, and, and you go to purposechurch.com slash next steps, uh, you will see your next steps in following Jesus. As you make that commitment to him, now you need to walk and follow after him. And you can go there. We as a church, we are, we are here to help you on that journey. Okay, let's just finish up with a few more uh, passages uh, that I want to share. Um, you'll see there in your study outline, your tent. And, uh, and, and, and this is another application of the festival or the feast of, 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 ta- of, of tabernacles, uh, given to remind us that your life is temporary and that we're on our way to our permanent home. We're on our way to our permanent home in heaven. Paul wrote to the Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, this body, this temporary residence, the, the Bible calls it a tent. We, we're in the wilderness on our way to the promised land. Jesus delivered us from Egypt. When we committed our life to Christ, he delivered us just like the nation of Israel from Egypt. We're in the wilderness in this tent on our way to our, to our permanent location in heaven. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, especially if your tent is getting older like my tent. There are days when you groan. This body's wearing out. You groan. It's, it, it's, it's wearing out. It's, it's temporary. It's not meant to go for eternity. Your new body is meant to go for eternity. This one's not meant. And so meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up like, like life with, uh, with life. Um, this is why Christians don't have to dread getting older like our culture does. Our culture is terrified of getting older. It's all about staying young as long as you can. And don't get me wrong, we want to stay healthy. We want to exercise and, and do what we can to, to keep this tent in as decent a shape as we can. We want to you know, keep it healthy. That's, that's something that honors God. But remember, you are, every day you walk with Christ, you are moving towards your better days. You're walking away from lesser days and on to better days. And no wonder our culture gets depressed by aging because every day that goes by, their best days are behind them and their worst days are ahead. But as the years go by, maybe this tent wears out, but your spirit, the spirit of Jesus within you, the Holy Spirit grows more and more powerful as the years go by and you are moving towards your eternal destination. You're not moving away from your best days. You're moving towards your best days. I mean, wouldn't it be sad just in this building project, this renovation project we're in, wouldn't it be sad if we were now meeting in the worship center while renovations were being done in the gym or in the tents? Wouldn't that be sad? Moving towards a lesser dwelling. But that's the way the world looks at 
our culture looks at aging is that we start out in the worship center, we move on in middle age to the gym, and we finish up in a tent. But for followers of Christ, we start in a tent, we move on to the gym, and then we eventually make it to a renovated worship center. Christians are always one day closer to their best days. And this is the reason that that happened. John 1, verse 14, the word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling, made his tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. He came in this world on a search and rescue mission for you and for me. And he dwelt among us and he died on the cross so that we would have that hope of moving beyond this wilderness we're in to eternity in heaven. And because he tabernacled, because he dwelt among us, This is now the reason that this will happen. Revelation 21, uh, verse 3. This is your future. If you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you just prayed that prayer with me a few minutes ago, this is your future. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place, his tabernacle, his dwelling place is now among the people. And he will tabernacle, he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Out of Egypt, through the wilderness, on our way to the promised land. And all God's family said, amen and amen.